good morning again. Have a seat, have a seat. Maybe grab those uh, message notes if you have them handy. You can continue the argument of popsicles versus ice cream a little bit later on. My guess is that free ice cream wins out anytime. So, uh, My name's Phil. I'm one of the pastors on the team here. This is the third time. This is the third year in a row. I know. Uh-huh that I've been asked to speak on the, the 4th of July weekend, or the weekend that we're kind of marking the 4th of July. I'm the only British staff member, so. Yeah, uh-huh. I'm sensing someone's trying to make a point. I don't, I don't know what it is. Um, but I thought I'd wear this today. Yeah. Um, those of you that were born here probably know all this already, but um, I didn't know this, so I was interested. Um, did you know that the national bird, uh, the bald eagle um, of the U.S., has been the national bird since 1782? Which is, I don't know, some of you are impressed by that, some of you don't care. I don't know. I thought it was interesting. I don't know. But um, this is the reason I thought it was interesting. Up until recently, England didn't have a national bird. We'd, I, I mean, we'd survive pretty long without it, but we didn't have one. <laughs> Don't feel bad for us, it's fine. We didn't have an eagle or, or an albatross, any of those big things, and some of the countries have some crazy birds, but there was a group of people a few years ago that just felt like we could not go on without a national bird. This is true. Um, in 2015, so just a couple of years ago, they asked um, the nation to cast a vote. So they came up with a short list of, of birds to choose from. Now, England, being England, doesn't have a vast menagerie of birds, as you might imagine. Everything in England is smaller. We have smaller mountains, smaller cars, smaller roads, smaller portion sizes, smaller birds. <laughs> the only thing bigger is our sense of irony, I think. Um, <laughs> so out of this list of birds, there's a couple I quite like. There's a few birds of prey. So um, out of, this is my favorite, so I won't go through the whole list because we don't have a, a year. But uh, the red kite, the hen harrier, or maybe the barn owl were the top choices that I quite liked. Personally, I'd have gone with the red kite. They used to fly near where I grew up. I don't know what a hen harrier is. And uh, a barn owl, well, it looks like it flew into a plate glass window. So <laughs> my vote would have been red kite. And about 200 or so thousand votes were counted, which I think is more than the number of people voted to stay in the European Union. And they, <laughs> that says something too, um, revealed that the robin would be the national bird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, with his slightly British withering look. In fact, do we have, we have a picture of them together, the eagle and the robin. Yeah. Uh-huh. It doesn't quite stir the same emotion as an eagle, but there's something about it that I, I quite like. This disapproving British look. It's not that we think we're better than you. We know it. Um, Anyway, no, no, that's relevant. I just thought it was interesting. Um, I lead the incredible team here that work with our kids from infants all the way through to fifth grade. And we have a great staff team and volunteer team that work on creating an environment and then the resources and, and all that kind of stuff to, to help kids explore faith at their own level, at their own pace, at their own understanding. 
And, and if you've signed up to serve with us over the next um, 10 weeks or so, um, you're gonna experience a little bit of that and you're gonna see some of the joy of helping kids connect to God and, and connect to each other and make this place, make a church feel like a safe place for them. And I don't get many opportunities on, on this platform, so can I thank you if you have offered to serve over the next few weeks. Thank you so much, it makes a huge difference. And if you're part of our team that serves weekly, thank you, thank you for what you do for the kingdom. And as, as Neely said, this morning is a, is a family service, so we've um, invited our elementary age all the way up um, to old people um, to join us in the worship center today, because um, I really believe it's important for them to see you worship, and you to see them worship, and for all of us to worship together in this big space, and experience this beautiful picture of the body of church in all its variety and all its diversity. And it's a privilege for me to, to share a few thoughts with the whole family of the church this morning, or a representation of it at least. Uh, as we already said, this is the first week of Summer of Connection, and we're diving into some stories over the summer. And this morning, I want to look at um, one of the stories that Jesus told. Jesus taught in stories, as you know, he taught in parables, because they, they create a picture in our mind. And so it's a memorable story. It's a memorable lesson. It makes us think a little bit, kind of quickly. We instantly get those pictures and those questions coming up in our minds. And they, they help us come up with pretty instant application as well. And this story is probably one of the most famous stories in the Bible, and it had a huge impact on the world. So I wanted to probably remind a lot of us of the story. So I've asked some friends... Um, who weren't paying attention, to come up and help me tell the story. Well, you are eager. Um, come onto this lawn area. I know, it's weird. It's not real grass. Who knew? I thought it was real. It's not. Um, let's go back over to the windmill for a second. Great. So this is the story of the Good Samaritan, kind of. Um, we're going to step to this side of the windmill while they figure out how to light the stage properly. Keep going. Yeah, I didn't give them full instructions of what we were going to do, so it's always interesting. Okay, so in this story, Jesus is telling, there's a man, and he's going on a journey. So, um, okay, Luke, it's 4th of July weekend, so we're going to, oh, this is little. This is for small people. There we go. So Captain America here is going on a journey from somewhere to somewhere else. Okay? okay. Feel good about that? Okay, so off he went from the windmill. He's heading to the flamingo. He went slowly. Slowly, slower than that. There we go. And along the way, imagine this. Along the way, he gets attacked by bandits. <laughs> Never work with children or animals. Um, so pretend you were being attacked by bandits. Oh, yeah, that's good. And he was beaten up. And then he... Yeah, yeah, good, yeah. And he was there. Yeah, perfect. No, that's enough. They like that. Don't overdo it. Just, just stay on the ground. Stay there. You got to know when to stop. That's, that's the key thing. So it's bad. It's 4th of July weekend. Captain America has been beaten up and left, as the story goes, half dead. His hat probably came off too, because come on. But don't worry. It's okay. It's okay. Because who should come along um, but the Incredible Hulk? Right? So this seems good. Can you, can you give us an Incredible Hulk impression? No. No. 
because, you know, I didn't warn you. Okay, so uh, the Incredible Hulk is heading down the same journey from somewhere to somewhere else. And he comes across Captain America. And you'd think, oh, this is going to be fine because they're on the same team. But no, the Incredible Hulk does not. He crosses the street and he carries on his own way past the flamingos and hangs out somewhere over here. Bummer, Captain America lying half dead. It's 4th of July weekend. The Incredible Hulk did not help. Don't worry, though, because who should come by but Iron Man? I know. Impressive, right? Can you give us an Iron Man impression? I don't know. You don't know? You don't know what Iron Man is. Okay. That's the most concerning thing I've ever heard. Um, he flies like this. Yeah, yeah, because I think that something happened. I don't know. I don't understand either. Um, so Iron Man's coming, and you think this is going to be great, because Iron Man and Captain America, they're kind of, we face the audience, they're kind of one and the same, really. They're on the same team. They're busy avenging all sorts of things together. This is going to be great. He's going to rescue him, save him, help him, all that kind of stuff. Easy, right? No. Captain America flies on by. Oh, sorry. Iron Man. Sorry, Captain America's down here. And all looks lost. Captain America is half dead still. Yeah, don't move. Um, his friends have left him. What on earth could happen? But don't worry, out in the distance, somebody else comes along. Oh, it's not as, it's not as promising. Because it's a stormtrooper. <laughs> now, come with me. Now, if, if Iron Man and Incredible Hulk didn't do it, now I know Incredible Hulk's moody so that we could maybe explain that one away and we're not sure what happened with, with Iron Man, but a stormtrooper, that makes no sense. That's the wrong genre of movie to begin with. It doesn't even, it doesn't even translate. The, the most incompetent of all troopers, the stormtrooper, I know, it's bad. It was the only, it was the only hat they had, I, I tried. Okay. But do you know what happened? The stormtrooper trooped over. He knelt down. Excellent. He helped the man up. He helped Captain America. He picked up his hat for him. He put it on. He took him to safety. What's happening here? You got a handshake? What's going on? <laughs> took him to safety. He, he helped him. He got him better. And he looked after him. And then they left the stage and went and found their parents. <laughs> I don't care. It's a, it's a big drop. Okay, there we go. It's always a risk. <laughs> so that was the story that, that Jesus told, or uh, sort of a weird version of it. Um, and it's, it's a well-known lesson that we assume means just to simply, you know, love one another, help someone in need. Um, and I, I think we all could would understand it's probably a deeper message than if you see someone bleeding, help them. There's probably something a little bit more there. And so I want us to first take a step back for a second and look at the reason that Jesus told this story in the very first place. Um, so chapter, uh, sorry, verse 25, it says, One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? So, Jesus has been teaching a crowd at this point, as people gather around, he's teaching, and an expert in the law, so some kind of attorney of law type person, um, wants to embarrass Jesus, wants to catch him out, so he asks this question, well, 
if this guy's an expert of the law, he already knows the answer. So there must be a question behind his question. Jesus knows this. So being Jesus, he, he asks a question in return. He says in verse 26, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? What, what do you think it is? And so the lawyer, being a lawyer, quotes, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So he gives the correct answer, and Jesus confirms it in verse 28. He says, right, yes, do this, and you will live. And, and the lawyer is referring to a, a different occasion, which was very similar um, to this one. It was recorded in the Gospels of, of Matthew and Mark. And on that occasion, Jesus is asked, determined, to tell them the most important commandment. They say, what's the most important commandment? And he ruffles a few feathers because he says this extra bit of, of love your neighbor as yourself is the equally important second commandment. What he did was he, he combined two different laws. So there's a law in Deuteronomy 6, 5. It says you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, the first commandment. And then Jesus added this extra bit from Leviticus 19, 18, which was do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And this is where the lawyer is hoping to catch Jesus out. So the, the law was known to, to love the Lord your God, and the additional law was known to love your neighbor. And so he asks this question. He asks, who is my neighbor? Well, Levitical law defined neighbor, as we just read, as your people. So those terms are kind of interchangeable. It said, you know, bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. And you could read it the other way around. We could say, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against your neighbor, but love your people as yourself. It, it meant the same thing. And in this context, it meant other Jews, your people, other Jews. And this guy, he knows this. So what he's looking for is a pass. He's looking for an answer that will require him to do the very minimum required to earn favor with God. He's looking for a passing grade, a definitive answer for who he has to love in order to meet this need. Um, Eugene Peterson in the message version says, looking for a loophole, the man asks, and just how would you define neighbor? He's trying to take a concept and bring it down to its bare bone minimum. And Jesus then tells a story, and the story doesn't so much answer who is my neighbor as it answers what is love, or how should we love? Because Jesus doesn't want us to meet the minimum. He wants to inspire us to reach out to others beyond our people. And so to do so, he tells the story of the Good Samaritan, and the story of the Good Samaritan is a story of outlandish love. It is a story that is so powerful, so countercultural that it's become an idiom that is still used 2,000 years later. Jesus introduced this word picture through a story that impacts our culture today. We have laws protecting people called the Good Samaritan laws. The idea of a Good Samaritan was so countercultural that it stuck with people. It remain with them. This concept of a good Samaritan is an act that is not common. It's not average. It's not automatic. And because of that, we all knew the story, or at least the concept already. It's well used. Charities are named after it. Acts of kindness are described using that term. And this was a, a momentous moment in history because Jesus redefines how Christians should see the world. 
And he calls us out for caring only for our people, for people that look and act like ourselves. And in his answer to just one question, he removes any excuse we have not to serve others. And the story goes like this. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. Now, Jerusalem sits about 3,000 feet above Jericho. It's a, about a 15-mile journey. It's very well known. It would have been fairly well-traveled. It would be known to be a treacherous journey, though. There's very limited shelter. There's no um, shelter from the sun or the elements. The, the bandits easily can, can, can um, get at people. You can't hide. You can't run away. You're just on the road and then a, sleep, a steep slope going up or down. And this man is robbed. They take everything from him including his clothes, which I know sounds weird, but um, at the time, clothes were very expensive. They were very valuable. People didn't own 17 pairs of Levi's. They just had kind of what they wore, maybe a, another set. Maybe it was passed down from someone else. And the story continues that he was, he was left half dead. In verse 31, by chance, a priest came along. And when he saw the man lying there, he crossed over to the other side of the road and just passed him by. Then a temple assistant walked over, looked at him lying there, and passed by on the other side. And if you read various commentaries on this passage, there's a, there's a little bit of debate um, on what activities these guys might have been headed to. Maybe there was some temple responsibilities, maybe there was some ritual uncleanliness about someone who was injured, all that kind of stuff. And we can argue forever about what they might have been heading to that might have given them a good excuse. But here's, here's the point. Um, it's a made-up story. Jesus made this up. We can talk forever what they might have done. They weren't real people. This is a made-up story. And because Jesus didn't include those details in his made-up story, we can pretty much assume those details are not important. Nothing they could have been doing in this made-up story would have trumped helping that man. So Jesus' point is that these are people that acted and looked like those in the crowd that he was teaching. And these are people that should know better. And these are the ones that you would expect to reach out and to help. We serve a God of love, and we should know better. Verse 33, a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man in his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. And this was just not done. This is bigger than kind of what we learn in Kidtown of like, well, Jews and Samaritans didn't get along, and they weren't really very good friends. No, this is bigger than that. This is an example of institutionalized racism. This was social standards passed down through generations of parent to child. It was a part of everyday life. You did not speak to or associate with someone from the opposite group. No way. Nobody crossed that boundary of Jew and Samaritan. They wouldn't talk to them. They wouldn't do business with them. They definitely wouldn't touch them. They wouldn't have any association with them at all. In fact, the people in the crowd that Jesus is talking to, the Jews in the crowd, probably, as he's telling the story, probably assumed it was a Samaritan that beat him up in the first place. And we, we do the same thing. We make assumptions based on our prejudice, based on our preconceptions, based on our own story. 
And Jesus just tears down that wall. This, this Samaritan, this nemesis of the Jews, bandages this guy, which means he touched him. He used oils and wines, which was some kind of personal expense to him, some kind of financial cost. He put him on his donkey, and which, think of the cultural context for a second. He put him on his donkey, which meant the Samaritan walked while his nemesis rode for 15 miles. And then he spent the night. Now, the people in the crowd, they might have got this idea of, okay, well, this guy was dying. You, you kind of crossed some cultural boundaries, but he was dying. So, I, yeah, I'm, I'm down. That kind of makes sense. That seems believable. But the idea of a Samaritan spending the night in the room of a Jew would have been unheard of. And not only that, this guy returns the next day. He follows through. He goes the extra mile. He inconveniences himself yet again for this guy. He invests wholly and fully in providing the care and grace that this man needs, regardless of who he was or where he had come from or what his story was. Note, he never asked. And then Jesus, because he's Jesus, makes the lawyer answer his own question. He doesn't even give an an answer to that original question. And he actually uses a parenting strategy. He makes the guy verbalize the answer. So, you know, when you have a teenager and you're like, well, what time's curfew? 10 o'clock. I want to hear you say it. 10 o'clock. Let me, I want to hear it. 10 o'clock. Now, I don't, I'm not saying that curfew is 10 o'clock. You understand? I have no authority over curfew, so don't, don't quote that. Gosh. But we use that so that we know that our message has been heard and understood. And then the person who is telling us the answer has nowhere else to go. There's no plausible deniability left. So verse 36, which of these three, Jesus said, would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Note, he didn't say Samaritan. Note that he couldn't even bring himself to acknowledge that detail in the story. And Jesus says, yes, yes. Now go and do the same. Just like that. The term neighbor was redefined for all time, for all Christians, for all time. Jesus redefines the definition of neighbor. It has nothing to do with location. It has nothing to do with people just like themselves. It is no longer about my people, but about all people. And with one question, We have an answer that that points to Jesus, yes, but it touches on this issue of humanity, and it it forces us to question ourselves, to question our hearts and our prejudices. Do I care? Do I care? Do I carry contempt? Do I serve others regardless of race or background or situation? Do I inconvenience myself for others? Jesus tells us, go and do the same. And to help us frame that into to, to some areas of application this morning, I want to think about three different areas. My community, and my church, and my daily life. So what might this look like in my community? Well, I have a friend, uh, Micaiah. He's entering fifth grade in the fall, and he has had a, a rough year at school. He's been bullied. He's been left out. Kids won't sit with him. And there's a group of boys that have rallied, actually, to make sure no one else sits with him either. And that is devastating. But Micaiah chose love. He chose inclusion. He chose grace. 
Without bitterness and without anger, Mick chose a path of love, despite what he was going through. And you may have a similar situation. You may be able to relate to that in some way. This passage inspires us, maybe even commands us to follow that example. Not to follow the pattern of society, but to drive out hate with love. To stand up and then stand firm for what is right. To reach out to the forgotten, to the hurting, to those in need, just, just like the Samaritan in the story did. Jesus is calling us to be separate from a world where people demand what they're owed and look after people that act just like themselves. Now, in my church, uh, how might this look in my church? Well, I love movies, um, and that's not a surprise particularly. Um, I love going to the movie theater. I think that's a different environment. I think it's just so different from watching it at home. You can get immersed in it. It's such an entertainment value. There's that emotion that builds up, the idea of leaving my house for a few hours. We have um, two kids under three, so um, it's a great chance to take a nap, which I love. So it's just great. And, and I think like most of us would probably agree, like a movie every now and then is great, no problem. Now, so I like movies, it's no big surprise. Now, if I told you I was in a movie, you're a little bit more surprised. Now, if I told you I was in the Avengers movie, you might think I'm crazy, but I was in the Avengers movie. Um, and you would probably ask, what was my role in the Avengers movie? I, believe it or not, sat in the third row of Woodenville AMC and watched it. <laughs> I know, you can be impressed. Obviously, I wasn't in the movie. I watched it, I viewed it, I was entertained by it. And I sometimes feel that we think of church like a movie. Oh, I'm, I'm part of a church, I'm in a church, I sit in the third row every week. And I think we can do better than that. No offense to the third row. <laughs> I know the church can make an impact on the world. It's got to go beyond the seat cushions. And Jesus is calling us to be involved and to be invested in the church. And when you're involved and invested in ministry, amazing things can happen. You can see lives changed in front of your very eyes. God can use the church and will use the church to bless others, to make a lasting change. And you can increase the value of church for your own family when you are involved and when you are invested. Now, I have, I've never been in a real movie, but a few years ago, I was involved in some curriculum for a children's ministry movie, and I thought we could take a look at that. acquaintance. Real pleasure. Your father is a great man. I, I remember serving with him in the field in the uh, Sahara Desert, you know. We were there for weeks and the camels were Specs, we have a little time. <clears throat> yes, sorry. Uh, the first things first, and um, this is for you. This is your um, uh, agent identification band. Wear it all the time, Kyle. What does it do? Well, it's a transmission device and it helps us keep an eye on you in case you get into any kind of... Uh, Mishap. 
You're intrigued, I can tell. I can guarantee you, because I was involved in that project, my investment in it increased. When you have to learn lines, do your part so that they can do their part and work with someone else who can do their part well, each doing their own thing, your attitude towards a project changes, your investment deepens. And just like a movie, we all have a part to play that contributes to the overall impact of, of this church or any church can have. We may not be involved in everything. In fact, uh, we shouldn't be involved in everything. I actually don't know how that ends. I never read the script. Um, but we do need to be invested in the area that we are involved in. And we need to give it all that we've got. Don't be a spectator. Don't just watch it. Don't just view it. And don't just settle as an extra. Take a lead role. Dive into ministry and see how God uses you to bless others. Any ministry. You can waste your time on any ministry or you can come to children's ministry. It's up to you. <laughs> it depends on how much you want to bless others. This is where the movie analogy falls real short because we know that the people on the screen, they're just playing a part. The actors and actresses have lives off screen that look wildly different. I'm not actually a secret agent. I know. <laughs> Jesus doesn't want us to, to turn it on and turn it off again. He wants his message of love and of service to infiltrate our very personalities and our, and our daily lives. He wants our perspectives to be different in our daily lives. Now, we, um, we recently bought a new car. So we went to the dealer and we did that usual like, dance that you do when you go to a dealer and you pretend that oh, we don't actually really want to buy a car and he doesn't actually really want to sell us a car you know, for like six hours. And you know, we want this car and he's like, well, if I sell you it at that price, I'm going to lose my job and I'll have to move. And it, you know, none of it's true. And eventually, you know, we end up with the car that he didn't show us to begin with, and it's fine. And we got a Toyota Sienna in pre-dawn gray. Now, prior to owning this car, if you'd have said, Phil, what colors do Toyota Siennas come in? I'd have said, I don't know, white? Black, maybe? I don't know. Now, since we have bought this car, every other car on the road is a Toyota Sienna in pre-dawn gray. Like, so much so, I've, I've tried to get in the wrong one three times in the parking lot. <laughs> we went to the zoo on Friday. There was four of them parked together. I couldn't tell which one I was trying to get in. My perspective has changed. And, and my point is, when something is in the forefront of our minds, we start seeing it everywhere. Our perspective is different. So instead of, of waiting for God to provide an opportunity to serve, instead of praying that prayer, well, I'll serve, just provide the opportunity. When it comes along, I'll, I'll jump in. We have the attitude of serving in the very forefront of our minds because I believe the need is there. We just need to tune in to see it. We tell ourselves so many lies that provide excuses not to help people. But if we can change that attitude to one that is ready to serve, then I believe we'll see needs everywhere. So look for those needs. Don't, don't listen to the excuses that we tell ourselves. A few weeks ago, I think it was weeks ago now, uh, we were driving, my wife and I were driving along Woodenville Duval Road um, with the kids in the back. And if you've ever met our youngest, who is just over one, she's called Mabel. And her love language, her happy place, is, is when she's eating. 
she loves to eat or, or hold food or taste food or throw food. She just, it's real happy places to eat. And um, so my wife's driving and she's, she's, Mabel's in the back eating, I don't know, a leg of lamb or something. I don't know what she was chewing on. And um, she glances in the mirror and sort of screams and she says, she's choking. She's choking. She pulls over to the side of the road. Do something. We're still going 45 miles an hour on the verge at this point. And I was like, Shay, you got to stop the car. So we stop the car, I, I get out, she's fine, she's chowing down on something else now, it's all fine. But here's what was crazy, is that another car had seen the panic and stopped in front of us. Now, I don't know if they had just wondered why we were driving on the side of the road at 45 miles an hour, or whether they'd seen our arms flail like a, a Muppet or something, and they were concerned, I don't know. But my point is, they saw a need, and their instant, split-second reaction was to stop and help. And it made me think, is that what my reaction would have been? I don't know if it would have been. And it, and it challenged me to really open my eyes to needs around and be, and be ready to serve in, in that split second, in that moment's notice. Are you ready to serve in a moment's notice? Or are you ready to pass by and then come up with those reasons that makes it okay in our heart. The Good Samaritan story is more than a simple story that encourages us to be kind to the people we meet. It is a counter-cultural mandate to love other people. Serving others is inconvenient, it is challenging, it is time-consuming, it is often expensive, but it is what God calls us to do for one another. We need to look beyond ourselves, beyond our people, and out to meet the needs of, of all people. Jesus told this simple story over 2,000 years ago, and it is still just as radical, and it challenges us in just as powerful a way today. So will you, will you stand and join me in prayer? Father, we, we thank you for your great example of love and grace. We thank you for that gift that you give us, regardless of our story. We ask that you continue to inspire us and empower us and strengthen us to step out of ourselves and, and lean into you and serve others, not just people that look like us, not just people that act like us, not just people with a similar story, but, but all people. Father, we ask that you give us what we need to be those kind of people in the world that can be world changers, that can serve you by serving others. And in God's name we pray, amen.